So now look, this is a long passage because it's a long parable. So let's look at it together. Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. The words of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two made two more. He who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unperfectable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you think we should pray before we get into this? I agree with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look into your word, we know that it is holy and perfect, for you are a holy and perfect God, unable to err or make a single mistake, O oh God. And so even though this parable may sound foreign to our ears, may be difficult to read and interpret. Lord, it is your word, everlasting, living waters. Father, help us to digest this message today. And not only that, Lord, that we would be able to apply it to our very lives. And we love you because you loved us first. And we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You guys can be seated. This may be one of the more difficult parables to explain, but again, nonetheless, this, this passage here contains the words of Almighty God, Jesus, the one who incarnated. Isn't that amazing, guys? We have a Savior who stepped down out of the heavenly realm and incarnated, which means the infleshing. He put flesh upon himself, which in theological terms means that Jesus forever wed himself to a human nature that he might be a suitable savior to us. 
that he could redeem us. He's the one who bridges the gap between lost, fallen humanity and a perfect, holy, righteous God. And Jesus bridges that gap. I say that because this is a parable that Jesus gave very shortly before going to the cross to make atonement. And the words here, He basalantan eron, which is translated as the kingdom of heaven, is a very classic description of how the Hebrews would refer to God's kingdom while at the same time shying away from God's holy name. To use the word heaven in place of Yahweh. Even today, if you were to open a standard Jewish Tanakh, which is just the Old Testament scriptures, it does not say Lord in any of the passages where the word Yahweh is inserted. It actually says Hashem, which literally means the name. And so there's a reverence here, and there was always a reverence for God's kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven. And i got to be honest with you, the Northeast Biblical Institute is starting up on Tuesday night, and the first class we're dealing with is... The kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so this is kind of fresh on my heart. I couldn't kind of get around this. How does Jesus describe the kingdom of heaven here? He said, it is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now look, this sounds extremely foreign to a Western mind, but this practice was extremely common in the East. We think like Westerners. This is a parable to Easterners. It sounds a little bit foreign. Who would do this? But this was a common practice. This happened. So when Jesus gives this parable, no one is surprised. It's a little different for us, but no one is surprised at this. It's a very common theme. Masters did this with their servants. They did it for a reason. Can you, can you imagine what the reason might be? Not a single guess. That's okay. Everyone's afraid. When the teacher asks a question, no one wants to be the first person to raise their hand. Except for the bold young men in the front seat here. It's about faithfulness. Yes, I got you. I, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Absolutely. You nailed it. It's about faithfulness. Could a master truly trust his servants when he's not there to watch them every second of every day? And so hold on to that. But we've got to deal with another word, don't we? Because I've, you, you had to hear it in Jesus' words over and over again, the word talent, right? So does, does anyone know what this strange word means? Vinny. It is a currency. In Jesus' day, you are correct. A talent was a weight of measurement. One talent was roughly anywhere between 60 to 75 pounds. So check this out. A talent of silver in Jesus' day would be four to six years worth of wages. Do we think it's a kind of a hefty number? It's a pretty good number, right? But check this out. Had it been a talent of gold, watch the currency jump. It would have been 20 to 25 years worth of wages. Now, is that a hefty chunk of money or what? That would be like leaving someone solidly a million dollars by today's standards. Easily, if not even more. Now, this is what you really need to know. The Greek word talanton becomes translated into Latin as talentum, which eventually comes to the English word talent. And someone's probably thinking, so what? 
I'll tell you so what. Even today, in a modern Webster's Dictionary, take me to task on this. I want you to do a little homework. Go home and check this out. It's going to blow your mind. There is still, to this day, in a modern dictionary, a reference to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25. So do you get the correlation between the word, which is a currency of money, and today something we would say is, well, Joe is very talented when it comes to teaching the word. No one thinks it's about a currency of money, right? We would think that it's a skill. It's an acquired skill. There is, without fail, an intrinsic link between those two things. And so I ask you, what are all the things that Jesus has left us with? Because that's, in my opinion, that's how we need to look at this, at this parable. Just listen to the first couple verses again, verses 14 and 15. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. You see, in just these opening verses, I see a huge life application. The master imparted to his servants according to their abilities. Do you see that? I did not make that up. That is clearly in the text. That's why one servant received five, another two, another one. They did not, I repeat, Please listen, because we live in a day and age today where everyone says, everyone's the same. I remember when I played baseball, the worst guy on the team did not get a trophy. Ask me how I know. Okay? Now everyone's valuable. And everyone is, val everyone is valuable, okay? I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. What I'm saying is, everyone doesn't deserve a trophy. You know MVP stands for something? What is it? Most valuable player. The, the kid who can hit 350 is better than my chump 175 average. Okay? And we're living in a society today that wants to just make everything the one big homogenous message, just blend everything together. And there are differences. And we learn that from the teachings of Jesus. This, this is what I think you can walk away from and kind of be blessed about. Do you know this, my friends? God will never call you to or ask you to do something that he has not already equipped you for. That's the principle I see in that. He's not, going to, he's not going to ask you to do something that you have no ability, no talent for, no skill, because he's not the kind of God who does such things. He doesn't do that. He equips us. He gifts us the gifts to do these things. Verses 16 through 18, let's reiterate. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who would receive two gained two more also. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now, I don't want to focus too much on the first two servants because praise be to Almighty God. These guys, I think, were the picture of faithfulness, weren't they? Both of these men, if you can do quick math in your head, doubled their Lord's money. They were both faithful and wise. And so instead of just spending time on that, why don't we just jump to what I really think is the ginormous big idea of this passage. It's the third servant, isn't it? He takes his Lord's money and buries it in the ground. Now think about it just really quickly. 
I told you before, a talent was how much, how much precious metal? Like 60 to 75 pounds worth of silver or gold. So we're not, we're not talking about coins, right, guys? So what size hole do you think you might have to, to dig to bury that much silver or gold? Yeah. Deep and wide, right? Deep and wide, man. That's what it would, without fail, have to be. But I ask this before moving on. Are our master's talents, the things that he bestows upon us, that we're to be faithful with, are they to be buried in the ground? Now look, this message is meant to encourage you and stir up good works within you, but you guys are moving on to adulthood, and I want you to very seriously contemplate a thought. God has blessed everyone here. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus is spiritually gifted in some way, shape, or form. I didn't bring spiritual gift tests or anything like that because I want to hit it from a different angle, maybe one you haven't heard. Whatever it is, my friends, that God has blessed you with, don't bury it in the ground. Don't hide it under a rock in a field for a rainy day. That is not what God has blessed you for. This is not why he has given you a talent. So let's look what happens on our narrative. Verses 19 through 23 tell us, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, verse 19 is teaching us an application, something very important in this parable, and it's nonetheless true. There is a time of accountability, isn't there? A time when the master will return to see how faithful his servants have been with the property that he has bequeathed to them, that he has put under their charge. There is a day of reckoning, so to speak, biblically, a time of accountability. You see, the first and the second servant doubled their Lord's money. And look at the response. Look at the master's response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And there's a huge life application for me that's kind of personal. When I was your age, many, many moons ago, and in youth group, much like you, I had a good friend named Heidi Gessler. And Heidi could not go one corporate prayer meeting. I kid you not. Not one without going, and Lord. You know people get really spiritual when they pray? 
They're like real tough. And they go, Lord Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we just beg you, Lord. Some people get English when they pray. I found that. Dude, where, where's this guy from? But you would always go, and Lord, we all long to hear you say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Amen. And one day, when I was about 17, I popped. And when we were done praying, I said, you know, Geisler, do you get that there's kind of an abject lesson here. You know, the only way to hear the Lord say one day in the future, well done, thy good and faithful servant, is to do one thing. You know what it is? It's a shocker. It's be a good, faithful servant. We just can't say these things and not do these things. What does James tell us about someone who just hears the word and isn't a doer of it? You've got to be a hearer of the word and a doer of it as well. It's not just about talking the game. It's about walking the walk. And it just drove me nuts. Because I think sometimes we get in that mindset. Now look, this isn't a message about being all worked up about works. But it's about this. And we need to know the, the serious reality of it. Is that God has blessed us with so many things. You have not been saved to be part of the holy huddle the we for and no more attitude, to come to church and be a pew potato. All right? That's not, not what Christianity is about. Christianity can be likened to football. Who likes football? Everyone's just waiting for October, right? Yes. Maybe it's the year for the Giants. Who knows? You see, there's some stuff going on in a football game, right? You've got about two dozen guys give or take, who are kind of active in the field. And then what else do you have? I would say not even just thousands, but millions of people watching because there are thousands in the stadium and millions at home. You see, Christianity is not a spectator sport. And that's when you sit back and you know you're a fan. Christianity is a gear up, train hard, and get in the game kind of sport. Okay? Christianity is not a, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And God has given us so many things, and shame upon us if we ignore the gifts and talents of Almighty God. And I don't say that to your shame, I say that to stir you up in your youth. Stir each other up with your giftings and your talents. Encourage one another. One of my favorite proverbs in all of the Bible says, praise not the work of thy own hands, but let the lips of another praise thee. I'm sorry, I learned it in King James. Something about it, the English, I don't know what it is. Probably because my dad read me the King James Bible when I was a youth. But, but that proverb is saying that, don't just pat yourself on the back to the point where you break your wrist. Encourage one another. Stir each other up. And you know, and there's this, this false sense of humility, I believe, going around in the church today where we are just so paranoid that someone will get all puffed up and, and won't know the meaning of humility and they're going to fall over and die if you pay them a compliment. Man, if someone does something great, say, great job. Praise God. Your talents are on loan. He could take them back whenever he wants. 
But don't be afraid to say, great job. Not to puff his head up, but when Josh was over there, I said, hey, man, great worship, but you knew that already, praise God. And you know what he said? He said, I know, I'm so talented. I mean, do you hear me tickling those ivories? That's not what he said at all, just so everyone knows. I'm pulling your leg. He said, man, all glory to God. And that's the truth, isn't it? All glory to God. It's not about building your own kingdom. It's about the kingdom of heaven. All glory to God. These these first two men for us are the picture of humble servants who are faithful and wise. The first one apparently was slightly more talented than the second service. But notice this. Each were given a set number. And they both doubled it. That's diligence, guys. And it's faithfulness. But listen to verse 24 and 25. And then he, who received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. I just want to bring out one small point before we see the master's response. Because we all know what it is anyway. But the lazy servant in this parable has the audacity and the stupidity, to tell his master that he knew he was a hard man and that he was afraid. So, instead of being faithful, instead of being diligent, instead of being a go-getter, what does he do? He takes his master's talent and he digs a hole wide enough and deep enough to bury 80 pounds of silver. And I got one And only one comment to that. And it's this. Really? I mean, sincerely? Really? That's what you would do if you knew that your master was coming back and was going to tally up the accounts. Really? Seriously? Wow. Un- Believable. Hard to believe. Now listen, listen to the master's response. Verses 26 through 30. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming... I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice this, guys. The master of the house judges the lazy servant by what? His own words. His own words. And so I ask you in a moment of clarity, are 
words important? I think we'd all say, yes, they are. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, I, I don't for a minute believe that the lazy servant was afraid. It's just my own leaning. I'm not telling you to go against conscience. Rather, he represents everyone who buries the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he is the perfect picture of an unsaved, unregenerated person who may say one thing and pay lip service, but guess what? He has no faith. He has no faith. Furthermore, it would appear that the lazy servant wasn't really fully convinced, perhaps, that his master was coming back. I mean, think about it. Think about it for a second. If the master didn't return, the money would be what? His. He didn't trade with it. He buried it. He hid it like treasure. I believe this is why he didn't put it in the bank. Because isn't it what the master said? He said, even if you didn't trade with it, had you put it in the bank, it would have accrued interest. I would have my own back and then a little sum. You see, even in Jesus' day, there were great record-keeping systems. The fact that the lazy servant does not put it in the bank means he was trying to hide a record. You see, if his master didn't come back from the journey one day, well, then he didn't have to give anything back. And if he did come back by some chance, he would just dig it up and say, well, here, here's, you have what's yours. I can't be guilty of spending it or making a problem. And it's such a sham. It's such a sham. Because here's the big problem. Whereas the first two servants were the picture of faithfulness, this third servant was not in the least. And people who are not faithful usually are the kind of people who have no faith. So what does the Bible say about faith and works? Well, I think there's a great treaty on it in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now look, just on the basis of these two scriptures, we can make this affirmation. And I think it's a true one. True and living faith always results in real actions. Now trust me, we are saved by faith alone. But I assure you, my friends, it is not a faith that is alone. Can you work for grace? No. None of us. However, listen carefully. You can work from grace. You can't work for it. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of Almighty God upon us. We have nothing to offer. And yet he loves us anyway. 
and he rains down grace upon us. Can you work for grace? No. But here's the beautiful thing. You can work from grace. It is a natural byproduct or a natural outflow, if you would. We serve Jesus simply on the basis of this, my friends. He served us first. He didn't come to be served, correct? But he came to serve as a ransom for many. John would tell us in 1 John that we love him because he loved us first. And the wicked and lazy servant has a pretty rough outcome. To be cast into outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. We don't want to go there, do we? You see, I don't want you guys to be like that wicked, lazy servant who goes and takes God's talents, his master's talents, and just buries them in the ground and says, mm, whatever. I want you guys to be like the first two servants who were faithful, who were genuine, who cared about what their Lord had given them. And guys, we've all got something. And this is how we want to kind of tie this into spiritual gifts. Because we were supposed to talk about that. So let's talk about that. We've all got something. You've got some supernatural gifting of our gracious God. The Holy Spirit who has come to live within you on your belief in Jesus has given you something. And I know someone's going, no. Not me, Pastor Jay. I'm the only Christian in New Jersey who have one. Okay, don't have a pity party for one. You've got something. You've got something. I always, people always tell me, like, well, how do you know what your spiritual gifts are? It's just like, what's, what ignites a fire in your heart? What are you just passionate about, beyond passionate about? What do your friends see in you that maybe you don't even see in yourself? You see, that's how you can find out what your spiritual gifts are. I would say again, I, I revert back to the proverb. Don't praise yourself. Let the lips of another praise you. You know what? I find that I'm a pretty lousy judge of myself. And I'll tell you why. Because sometimes I'm not real humble. And sometimes I'm not real honest. You imagine that? You stand in front of a mirror and it's like, a thousand around you, you're all good. You even pull off bald right. Look at that. It's good. You don't even need, you don't need hair anymore, man. You got this. Your, 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 your head's just so round. It's just made for the baldness, man. You know, and if you're honest, it's like, what happened to my hair? <laughs> Pastor Lloyd said that I started to lose it when I went into ministry 15 years ago. And he's, he's probably pretty right. He's pretty right on. We've all got something. God. You have something by the gracious nature of Almighty God. You've got something. And what I'm begging you to do in the name of Jesus is find out what it is. And for the love of everything sacred and holy, don't stick it in the ground. Find out what it is. If you need prayer or counsel or guidance, that's why we have pastors here at CCOB. Amen? Man, we love you guys. We love you guys. The people here serving at Impact, they love you guys. It's here. Spiritual guidance is here for the asking. You see, but I don't want to chase someone. Because if I have to chase you, it, it, it makes me question whether you're ready or whether you're just playing a game. But you come expectant and you come and you ask. 
We'll pray with you. We'll guide you. We'll dig into the scriptures. We'll dig into your very heart if we have to, to see what's going on. Now, you can find spiritual gifts in at least four different places in the New Testament, but I want to kind of highlight the two places that are most prominent. So, why don't we flip in our Bibles to Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. Romans 12, 4 through 8. Now, this is how the Apostle Paul explains spiritual gifts. In Romans 12, 4, he said, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them... If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Do you guys catch some of that? That means that we, although corporately one in Jesus Christ, are made up of individuals. And all of us have different gifts. Do you know why the Lord Jesus, in all of his wisdom and sovereignty, has gifted the body, his beloved church? Some people get this wrong. You have been given a gift. Now follow me that you may give it away on a daily basis. We do not have gifts so that we can puff ourselves up, be self-elated and say, well, you know, the gift I have is so much better than yours. That can happen. It's called spiritual pride. It can happen. That's not why God's gifting you. God has gifted you that you could give it away and edify the entire body till we all are mutually edified and built up in the most holy of faiths. Amen? That's why. Now, let's flip a little bit to the right, go further into the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Paul says to the Corinthian church, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profits of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Do you see the spiritual tie-in to the parable of the talents yet? The master going on a long journey took talents and gave everyone the same thing, right? No. He gave one Five talents, another servant, two talents, 
and another servant one talent, each according to their ability. And it was the master's choice, not the servant's. I beg some of you here who I know are thinking, oh, if I could only have this gift. Oh, if I could only have that gift. Oh, if I could only be a teacher. If I could only have the gift of interpretation. If I could only have the gift of tongues. Do not seek out something that God has not given you. Rather, what you need to do is sharpen and hone the gift you already have been given to the glory of Almighty God. Don't covet the gift of another. Rather, extol and encourage and praise someone else and really encourage them to act within their gifting. So it's application time as we close out. The question is, who then, according to Jesus' words, is the good and faithful servant? And I would tell you guys, it's the one who is busy about his father's business. Why do we serve the Lord Jesus? Simply because he served us first. He came and he bled out for us, guys. Do you realize that we serve a God who quite literally, I kid you not, in all sincerity and seriousness, loved us to death? That's the seriousness of the fallen human condition. That's the seriousness of sin. Someone asked me a long time ago, how serious is God about sin? So serious that he sent his only begotten son to a cross to bleed out for humanity. That's how serious God is about sin. That's how serious he is. God is asking us to live for him. And let us never forget that he is the one who died for us. True faith always results in real action. You see, this entire parable is about the faithfulness of God's servant until he returns. And you can be assured, brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. And he has gifted you. He's given you talents. The question is, is what, for his glory's sake, are you going to do with them? I encourage you, in the name of Jesus, I beg you, do not put God's talents in the ground. Let's pray.